0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Carvey Misery, and he's the founder and CEO of Rose. So after accessing mental health services for the first time, and the inefficiencies that became apparent during that process... Carvey decided to transform the way mental health care is delivered. So, you're going to hear all about that on this episode. I hope
1: you all enjoy it.
0: So, Carvey, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, James. Thanks so much for, taking, for, for having
0: me on. You're very welcome, sir. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Carvey?
1: Today, I am speaking to you from DC, which very
0: is the nice. home of
1: Rose Health.
0: Very, very nice, um, cool. So, carby the way that we start these podcasts is we get you to tell your story. So, obviously, uh, interesting background leading to up, uh, leading to where you are now. So, by all means, my friend, why don't you uh, tell us a bit of
1: your story? Sure, I'll uh, for a change. I'll tell a little bit of the longer story. And um, uh, so, the story actually started when I was born. So, I was born in Trinidad in the Caribbean, and uh, I was born with a congenital heart defect. So what that essentially meant was that I, had a, I was born with a hole in my heart. So from the day that I was born, I was fighting and I was trying to get better. Um, it so happens that during this time, there were there were no doctors in, in the country of Trinidad who would were, were able to operate on a a congenital heart defect as I had a, a, a ventricular septal defect. So it so happens that the Rotary Club, which is a massive uh, nonprofit organization, 1.2 million members across the, across the world, um, the Rotary Club of Trinidad uh, was able to get in touch with the Rotary Club of Manhasset, which is based in New York. And it so happens that the Rotary Club of Manhattan had created an organization called Gift of Life International. And Gift of Life International, essentially, what they provide, and it's very niche, but what they provide is open-heart surgeries to children who were born with congenital heart defects outside the United States. So so luckily, was able to um, get in touch with an organization, and then they were able to sponsor me for two open heart surgeries when I was a child, one when I was one year old and the other when I was four years old. And I tell that story because it really shows that, or at least it really kind of gives the, paints a picture of really a perfect defect um, where that perfect defect has uh, pretty much led to the, my current, the way that I, I live my life as well as my moral compass. It allows me. It taught me things about being humble, things about making a difference, um, things about being able to help others, and has has led to to the career and the person that I've become. Um, So, after having the two open heart surgeries, that's where I really got into healthcare, and we're talking about four or five years. Um, and the reason for that is because I was always concerned as to why am I the only kid in the park with a massive T on his chest, um, with, with two two large scars, and no one else. And that's where I started looking into and and obviously on a very high level reading more about uh, about the about cardio, cardiology specifically um, to learn about what happened to me, and then that ultimately led to the career that i had that i started um i would have loved to become a, an a, an actual cardiovascular surgeon but i'm traumatized with needles so to the state so i don't think that would have been a good op- option um, so i decided to become an investment banker um, so kind of a, definitely probably not the best thing to do. Uh, with <laughs> that is a bit of a curveball in the story. Exactly. Yes, uh, but it all was it, it all kind of rolled into becoming an investment banker through multiple means. I mean, my first entrepreneurial uh, experience was when I was in third grade, and I at the time there was a uh, a fad in school of um, of eating candy straws. So essentially there were straws made out of candy. Um, and on my way home, there was actually a store that sold them uh, 25 straws for 25 cents. And it was one of the only stores in the area that I knew of that sold it. So I would actually repackage it and sell it for 25 cents for five. So being able to—that's when that was my first attempt at at, uh, at entrepreneurship. Well, I imagine very successful as well. Yes, exactly. Kids that in the third grade we all loved our candy. <laughs> um, so having a combination of that as well as um, having the, the 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 rigor regarding um, this open heart surgery that led me to kind of a love for healthcare, a passion for healthcare, a passion for making a difference, and then more so when it came to to investing, um, I really loved the entrepreneurial side as well as the ability to make a larger impact by being an investment banker because I thought, and I did, um, was able to create synergies during, by executing on an acquisition. Um, and that those synergies would tie down to the end user, and that's exactly the person that I'm trying to make a difference for. Um, additionally, it also helped with uh, being in a position of, uh, of, of increasing technology, because with these, uh, with these acquisitions, you would always find a way to, um, to be in a position where you're increasing and scaling technology for the end user, and once again, the same type of, uh, the same demographic that I'm looking to make a difference on. Um, But then further, as I kind of continued my career more on the personal side, um, I spent about seven years in in M&A Investment Banking uh, working for JP Morgan and Centrust. And then I, I spent some time at Northwell Health in New York. And Northwell Health in New York was a great opportunity. I was part of the new ventures and strategy group. And it was also an, a great opportunity on a personal side because that's actually the town where the Rotary Club of Manhasset was. And it, it was just a great coincidence. Not necessarily coincidence. It was a, I purposely wanted to work at Northwell because of this. Uh, one, being able to give back um, uh, through... The Rotary Club of Manhasset, but also wanting to um, get more experience of the payer space and the provider space with mental Health. So, so long story short, um, I joined the Rotary Club of Manhasset, and after a couple of years, I ultimately was nominated as to become the president of the Rotary Club of Manhasset. So it was a very, very, very fulfilling moment where I was able to join the actual club that not only joined, but become but become the president of the club that saved my life. Um, I was able to, I was the first, well, I was the youngest president of a Rotary Club in 115 years of, of Rotary Club history. And what was the greatest thing about it was that I was taking it, the, the presidency over from the founder of Gift of Life International, and we have become such good friends. Um, even in my last uh, my last birthday event, he he came he came as well. So it was a really bringing everything really full circle. Um, I was then able to join every part of the Gift of Life International during my presidency. Um, I we brought over a beautiful girl from Kosovo. Um, her name is Electra, and she was able to, I uh, she goes by Katya um, for short, um, but she was able to really, I really saw through that my ability to to turn this whole circle and see how um, being able to have a passion for healthcare, have a passion for making a difference, really changed people's lives um, and actually saw it in action, which was a great opportunity for me.
0: Um, before we go on to Rose Health, I just want to talk to you about that background, because it's a really fascinating background, and it ends, obviously, with, at this part anyway, you becoming the president of the club that changed your life. I mean, that's that's an incredibly powerful statement, and in, it must have been you know an in, incredibly proud moment for you, and I suppose it is the culmination of everything that happened from the minute you were born, or arguably, while you were developing in the womb you know this this vsd that you had the the heart defect the hole in the heart obviously then shaping the very early years of your life through two open heart surgeries but it's interesting what you said about it taught you to be humble it taught you that you wanted to make a difference about helping others because you had been helped yourself you were unfortunate to be born into a country that didn't have the wealth the riches of somewhere like even the uk where you would have had this done for free on the nhs and and had your you know life saved that way but you relied on the charity of others Mm -hmm. and you wanted to give back i think that's so nice it's interesting to me that obviously you then did something like investment banking that gave Mm -hmm. you the skill gave you the network, gave you the ability to understand how you could then make impact properly
1: exactly.
0: with what you're now doing. Mm-hmm. Again, interesting that you're gonna go full circle
1: mm-hmm.
0: about being, you know, a born entrepreneur. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, the selling suites and at 500 yeah. percent margin or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting one because I, I remember when I was at school. And I can't remember how old we were. It wasn't that old, but we had we had business studies and everybody was uh, we were in groups of three and we were coming up with different business ideas about how to sell something in school. And the teacher would tell us, you know, if you want to set up your business in this location in the school, yeah. it's going to cost more than if you set up in this little, you know, Back alley of the school that will be free, but you'll have to pay premium. And so we worked all the. I remember working all these things out with like my little <laughs> two little friends, and we'd set up a sweet stall right outside the lunch hall so for funny. before yeah. and after people went into lunch. So we yeah. had maximum throughput. I love it. Whacked <laughs> up the margin, yeah. <laughs> like, and all of a sudden we made enough money to subsidize everyone else who lost yeah. all their money. Yeah. <laughs> like, so but it's it, it's funny, but I think it's a cool story, man. It, it's nice, and I think it's so many people that we have on this podcast that are impact driven. So many people are driven by this internal motivation that actually helps them get out of bed every single morning and run through all those brick walls in healthcare, which I think is so necessary when you've got so many problems to solve in health. And there are, there are so many challenges and the business model often isn't that easy to come up with. It isn't easy to find consumers, customers, users, as it might be everywhere else. Enterprise sales are ludicrously Mm -hmm. difficult everything's hard in health care yeah. to innovate, right? And I think sure. having that motivation to run through those brick walls every day yeah. m- must make things slightly easier that you know you're onto the, onto the right stuff.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think as, we, as I formed Rose, and, I, and, and Rose is also a, a story in its own and how that was developed. Um, essentially, Rose was formed based on two realizations that I had. One was more on the business side and, one, and the other was more on the personal side. On the business side, as I mentioned, I spent the seven years working as a healthcare investment banker. um, Was able to get the skill set needed, and then transitioned over to Northwell Health. Uh, There at Northwell Health, I I worked on creating our startup, uh, Northwell startup company, which is called CareConnect. It was a narrow network health insurance company, which is similar to the Kaiser model. Um, And there I really saw the importance of digital therapeutics and digital tools for chronic conditions like um, heart disease and oncology, but but there were no options or tools available for mental health. And that definitely showed in our monthly meetings where we would see that the the expenditure of mental health would increase about 5% month over month, every, just due to pure leakage of our patients um, as well as decompensation of, of our members. Um, and that really was a, a great realization where I saw a need for a digital therapeutic or a tool in men, mental health. But then really what furthered that and what really, really formed Rose was after working the, 70, the 80 to 100 hour work weeks for, 70, for seven years, I'll um, say, say that again, After working the 80 to 100 hour work weeks for seven years, I finally burned out and I fell into my own depression when I burned out. And I learned very quickly that depression is not a passive state. It might seem that way to people on the outside, but to the person that's depressed is an active state of pain that just takes over your entire body from the tip of your toe all the way to the bottom of your feet. And that was something that really, really changed the direction of, of what I was doing and really put an emphasis on making a difference. Um, so after, luckily I had the wherewithal and support to seek help and I experienced mental health care for the first time and I was just blown away by the inefficiencies not just accessing care but purely navigating the mental, care, mental health care ecosystem. And I saw my fellow friends and colleagues really go through similar concerns And as a result, I decided to to do something about it. So I leveraged my experience as an investor, as an entrepreneur, but most importantly, as a patient to build Rose to what it is today. And Rose is now the the ultimate solution that would have prevented my burnout three years ago. And I've been super fortunate to have the likes of my fellow executive team, um, Dr. Matthew Peters, Dr. Adam, as well as the having the roots within Johns Hopkins uh, to build out this platform that allows for early identification of depression and mood disorder symptoms. So ROSE was ultimately formed on the basis of scaling mental health. So ROSE is an acronym for recognition of speech and emotion. So... By it, the name speaks for itself, or the acronym speaks for itself, that I saw that the only way to really help in mental health care is to scale through technology because the, the number of people who need therapy versus the number of people who provide that therapy, that continues to skew. And with the pan- pandemic, that continued to widen, that ratio continued to widen. And as a result, Rose was built to help the individual to build coping mechanisms, build mental health resiliency in in between sessions so that they can be empowered and have the tools that are needed uh, to manage their mental health outside of the clinical setting. That's awesome,
0: man. And it's something that comes up a lot on this podcast, actually. Whenever we've had people in the mental health space, entrepreneurs in the mental health space that come on, there's always this discussion around the scalability of the current state of play when it comes to treatment, because so much of mental health treatment is this one-to-one therapy and any solution that's going to help with the efficiency of that delivery. And bearing in mind, you know, the, the, the the incidence of mental health seems to be going up and Mm -hmm. the ability for us to deliver that is therefore going down because the resource remains the same. It then, lends itself to technology solutions to come in and help us with all that. And that seems to be extremely important. I am interested in the early identification of depression as well. And you've mentioned the acronym and what that stands Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through the technology
1: and how it works? Sure. So I'll talk you through just sort of how, how the model works. So ROSE is meant for the... The the the, ROSE is meant for the working functional adult that experiences mild to moderate anxiety, depression, trauma, ADHD, and insomnia. That's about 100 million Americans. Uh, ROSE is sold as a business-to-business-to-consumer model. So we sell to physician groups, we sell to ACOs, we sell to health plans and health systems. And how it all works is that, let's just say, say we're selling it to a physician group, Uh, we see a large market opportunity in primary care to integrate mental health. And those were findings from our recent uh, accelerator program at Johns Hopkins where we we actually looked into how can we integrate mental health into the primary care setting where we interviewed about 50 different stakeholders. We tested about 23 different hypotheses. And what we found out was that the primary care space it's just ripe for a mental health platform because you have, because of the skewed demand of um, the people who need healthcare versus the people who provide healthcare, there are so many that just don't have access to that therapy or that care. And it could be because of infrastructure challenges, it could be because of stigma, it could be just due to just purely um, the, the access to care. So what we did was we created a solution that was ripe. That was that was we created a solution that was right for the primary care clinician. We saw that we saw an interesting stat that primary care clinicians are okay with prescribing antidepressants as well as benzodiazepines, and it showed that seventy-five percent of doctors of uh, antidepressants are actually prescribed in the primary care setting. So that means that there is comfort in there on the ability to provide. However, they don't provide the actual care or that goes on top of the benzodiazepine or the the antidepressant. So you're really seeing that patient that is coming back uh, in three months with uh, more of a decompensation in their mental health. And then the doctor's solution is really to add another antidepressant or uh, increase the dosage and it's, it just keeps going. So that's where ROSE really comes into play and ROSE really uh, is helpful. So Ro- a clinician can prescribe that benzodiazepine but then they can also provide ROSE. ROSE is free for all patients and they would download the ROSE platform and we've built it almost to be a digital therapeutic. So it's a, it's a product that can really stand on its own that has over a thousand pieces of content that is curated for the individual. So it allows them to build that those coping mechanisms and build the, the mental health resiliency that's needed for their day-to-day concerns. And how it works is is truly in a, and I'll answer the question about the tech. Um, it works by as the clinician invites the patient to join the platform, they join they would join and then they would enter, they would Uh, they would join and they they would complete two clinical assessments, the PHQ-8 and the GAD-7 assessments. And then that gives us a really good understanding of how the patient is doing, gives us a good benchmark of how they're doing as well. And then they would then interact with the app. So they would go ahead and they would enter in their daily mood as well as their daily anxiety on a Likert scale. And then they would enter in their sleep on a Likert scale. And then they would journal. So we know, we know the value of journaling when it comes to therapy. So that's where we found a way of really, really finding out more about the patient. So what we, we've developed an in-house natural language processing system that we leverage on, that, on the journals. So as, they, as they're journaling, we are able to pick up semantic tone and leverage sentiment analysis. So we know exactly what they're going through whether it's problems with the relationship whether it's work issues whether it's financial issues and then based on all of that information we create what's called the rose score and the rose score is essentially a patient's mental health credit score so the phq8 the gad7 the daily mood the daily anxiety the sleep and the journal all combine to provide that to, to produce the rose score which then allows for one, for the clinician to be to, re, to have the, their patients risk stratified so they know whether a patient is in the green alert, they're in the yellow alert, they're in the red alert. And that's critical for them to be able to see which patients they should work on this morning versus later today or tomorrow. And then on the row side, that guides the Rose the Rose system on what type of treatment or care pathways we could produce. So we would then use that row score to push targeted. Uh, tar, tar, we would then use that row score to push targeted content for self-care in the form of articles, audio recordings, and videos, all aimed at increasing mental health resiliency, building coping mechanisms, so that the patient is has the tools and the skill set to be more mentally fit and enable smarter mental health care.
0: Yeah. And, and what you've mentioned there about obviously then using a lot of what's coming into uh, what you're essentially doing is personalizing it, aren't you? You're personalizing the patient's experience based on what they're giving to you in terms of the information, which I imagine is an extremely important part of this, because as you mentioned, when it comes to medication, medication alone is not really going to do anything without a service yeah. it has there has that's, to be a service exactly. behind it and therefore yeah. a one-size-fits-all service will do something a personalized service around that will do exponentially more
1: yeah. and and that's exactly yes exactly that and there's an analogy I, I heard as well about exactly what you said that um, medication alone won't do it uh, the analogy is more along the lines of having a fire in your house and having a fire alarm. So it's great if you have a fire, if it's good if you have a fire alarm in your house and if the event is a fire, the fire alarm goes off. But if there's no fire department to come and actually take the fire out, then this it's pretty much meaningless. So that's where... (laughs) Very true. So that's where Rose comes into play where a a patient has 11 minutes with their primary care doctor. So by being able to provide them with the skill set, they could use that as a learning opportunity to empower themselves and to build, um, build that, personal re- that personal relationship which really drives utilization. And when we talk about utilization, uh, we conducted a phase one IRB study in, in, uh, in Baltimore. Uh, it was a 45 patient study, 30 on the intervention arm, 15 on the control. And what we saw, it was a five-week study. After the five weeks, what we saw was that 80% of patients use the ROSE app every single day for that five weeks. We saw that 97% of them entered or completed their PHQ-8 and GAD-7 scores. And further, something we were not looking for, but we saw was that 73% of patients improved with their depression scores going from mild to moderate, um, going from severe to mild. What we saw was that something we, were, we saw, which we were not looking for, was that 73% of patients improved with their depression scores going from severe depression to mild to moderate, and 70% of patients with anxiety went from severe anxiety to mild to moderate anxiety. So definitely showing that the personal reaction rea- touch to it and the customizable aspect of it really brings the patient um, back and really allows us to have the higher engagement that we do.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned something there around your evidence and you mentioned the study and you mentioned obviously that, well, those things are required, aren't they now? And I imagine that when you're approaching groups of physicians that this is something that they ask you a lot. How do you know it works? Mm-hmm. What do you say to them when they ask that?
1: Yeah, so we would point directly to the study. It was a study um, done by Johns Hopkins, Hopkins experts. Um, it was a study that shows, uh, that had a control a control portion of the study. And we ha- we saw the difference between the control and the intervention arm and the results between the intervention arm and the control arm kind of spoke for itself. But then also looking at data from every single patient that we have, we have about an 80% utilization currently. So everything really matched up to that study and everything was the same. Um, There is a metric, the five by seven scale or the five by seven metric where in the last seven days, how many times did the patient use the platform within five of seven days? Um, we have, ours is about 82%. So 82% wow. of, of folks are using it five out of seven days.
0: That's incredible. So where are you guys at right now as a business? What scale have you got? Whereabouts are you? Um, sure. How is this out there helping people? Yeah, where is it? Sure.
1: So we, we closed a uh, oversubscribed uh, seed seed round back in October. Um, we were looking to raise about 1.5 million. We ended up getting about two and a half million in commits. So we ended up redoing the deal adjusting the deal and then we took 1.73 million. and 80% of that was was strategic investors. Um, yeah. So what that allowed us to do is really to build out the team. Um, we had a very strong technical as well as a strong clinical team, but we really needed that sales uh, the sales piece. So, we hired four amazing sales directors um, to pretty much come in and leverage their relationships and leverage their skill set to get more, more patients, get more folks uh, on the platform. Um, and we are now at about 50 different physician groups. Uh, we have pilots that are set with Johns Hopkins, uh, HCA Healthcare. Shepherd Pratt, which is one of the, the best mental health institutions in the United States. Um, we were selected for a pilot at the Brigham and Women's Univers- uh, Hospital, the Harvard Hospital, um, and quite a few other uh, other smaller hospitals. And further, we're developing a kids' version of Rose. And this kids' version of Rose is will be piloted, and it's actually through an accelerator program called X, where we are piloting the kids version with Intermountain Healthcare, Geisinger, Oshner Health, as well as Code Health. So, and also, um, yep. So those four. So that we, we're in the we're in the growth stage right now. Um, after having that round growing exponentially and being able to look for a Series A. In the next six to nine months. Well, that's awesome. What What are your
0: thoughts on going global? How 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 do you think this would play in different uh, different types of healthcare systems?
1: So part of this part of part of Kidney is that they are considered uh, they the unique part about this is that they are integrated with about fifty different health systems across the world, and one of the companies who would also like to do a or is interested in doing a a pilot is actually Alder Hay, um, and they're in Liverpool, England. Absolutely. So that answers I your question. I used to live and it. work very near there. Yeah, <laughs> so they so that that's our first chance at international and seeing wow. how it works. Um, I think the it, it I think you know this the pilot study would be very interesting in seeing how we can further leverage value-based care. Um, and, and we've done that through rows. We have a fee-for-service model, but we have a value-based model as well for the ACOs and the health systems. So being able to leverage that across the world would be something that we're, that we're definitely uh, geared up for and ready to, to do. Um, I think the, what we've done is extremely scalable. Um, we've created it in a way that can be a web browser, or a, the patient can enter it as a web browser, or enter it as on their cell phone. Um, it takes about one one to two megabytes of, of data for the to enter data to enter your information every month, every day for the for the during the month. So it's not a big drag on, on data resources.
0: Can I ask you about? moving that model fee fee for service to value based? Mm -hmm. This is something I'm getting increasingly interested in, value-based healthcare. And you know, you can argue it's been a you know, there's a term, it's been around for a while, and people are looking at different ways to, I suppose, use that business model. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How do you see value-based healthcare? And I suppose what what do you what do you guys do? Or what how how do you guys perceive value-based healthcare when it when, when applied to your business model?
1: Sure, so with value-based care, um, in our business model, we look at the different behavioral health and clinical quality measures that ROSE can improve. So currently ROSE can improve on about 11 different clinical quality measures like preventive care and screening, um, tracking tobacco use, screening and the cessation, alcohol and other drug dependence, depression, and anxieties, uh, improvement, uh, follow-up after hospitalization for mental illness, medical medication adherence, uh, all the way down to patient satisfaction. So we've built in these features within rows that can collect that information and be in a way that that information can be used for value-based care. So in a system or risk-based system, uh, an address system, it, it can actually help. That company or that, that entity by being able to really see how the, the, the patients are improving um, and can help with our, with a our risk sharing model as well.
0: Yeah, and I suppose it also demonstrates to those organisations your confidence as well, mm-hmm. partly because if you're saying like, "Look, I'm only going to get paid if if your medicines adherence gets better, if your tobacco use goes down, if you're you know," yeah. it, it certainly gives a, a level of confidence that you're happy and as you say you share the risk profile it means that your upside might actually be actually way higher Uh because Uh the fact that you're actually going in and solving all of those problems will give significantly more roi to those organizations particularly with things like the personalization element your ability to optimize what you're going in to do and all those different things everybody's upside can be way better in, in, in that mm-hmm. as a business model. It's As I say, it's, it's something I'm increasingly interested in about how different mm-hmm. companies are putting that together. And it seems that this is an ideal one because you're covering so many of those different yeah. things. You can improve so many
1: yeah. of those different mm-hmm. metrics that mm-hmm. it's definitely a model that seems to suit you guys. Yeah, and I think it's, it's only going to get better with our ability of integrating biomarkers, digital biomarkers point. into the process. I mean... Um, just having the ability of having passive data collection can, can tell so much more and paint such a clearer picture on mental health. Um, I think one of the, we've been having a lot of conversations lately with pharmaceutical companies who are looking at rows to co-create a digital biomarker and then run a clinical trial um, with, the, with that data that can quantify an improvement in mental health and they can also use rows for patient identification, quantification of response to treatment, as well as digital endpoints of early trials that can really show real-world evidence to the FDA to help with their reimbursement process on label expansion. But we see the NLP algorithm as the biomarker that is something that can predict a condition or diagnosis or be a prognostic of a condition. And that's what exactly what ROSE does. It just uses that data to augment clinical care, provide uh, that clinician with with augmented intelligence so that they're able to more effectively treat that patient with the limited time that they have.
0: Love it. My final question, Kavis, is about what the end goal is here, what the future is here. Where do you see this going? What do you think is... You know, f- talk about five year, ten year sure. horizon of all these, all the technologies that you're talking about, the the business model, that every everything here. Where, where is this going in five to ten years? Do you think, in terms of the care of mental health through yeah. employers, B two C, whatever you want to, sure. whatever you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, well, for the silver lining during COVID was the increased awareness of of not just mental health but of telehealth. So yeah. I see that telehealth is not going anywhere i strongly believe that um people who especially with therapy there really isn't a need to go to the office for that one-on-one visit if you can just do it on the convenience of your home um so i definitely see telehealth and telepsychiatry as a large opportunity to continue to build upon Um, i see a product like rose being able to suit so many different folks from the employee side, to the hospice side, to the health system side, to the care navigation side, because what we do at ROSE is just, we are able to track patient data, keep them engaged, keep them connected to the clinician so they don't wander away. It's a very scary thought if if you think about a dementia patient that you haven't heard from in 150 to 200 days. Uh, That's scary for a clinician. So we will see advancement in technology with ROSE in itself. What we, as we stand for recognition of speech and emotion, we are testing um, speech and audio for early detection of depression and mood disorder symptoms. So we're now, the the patient can also now record a journal entry through audio, and we can actually hear uh, and and detect, uh, and uh, whether it's a, uh, mental health condition and then further we're looking into uh, video recognition for microfacial expression so being able to see how the look at the entire musculoskeletal aspect to see how a, a person is doing uh, and it's, this is more specific to substance abuse where we're able to see exactly whether a patient is is uh how exactly a patient is doing and by combining all three of them it, it's really powerful because it allows for us to know exactly how the patient is doing um whether they are suffering from alexithymia which is the inability to express themselves um and it also helps with stigma as well because i mean we all know that there's that stigma that men don't cry and there's that stigma of uh, black brown asian um folks just are, have that mental health stigma. So by us being able to provide an easy-to-use application that's very warm and, and, and welcoming, uh, and then asking these questions and collecting this data, we're able to detect whether they're going through something without them even knowing, because just because of our the fact that they grew up in a place, and my, speaking for myself, uh, of Indian descent, grew up in where mental health wasn't really something that was talked about, um, and didn't realize my decompensation from stress to anxiety, anxiety to the depression, um, until it was just too late. So that's where Rose can pick it, pick up on it and nip it at the bud and keep you in a maintained state of mind.
0: I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. And it seems like, you know, you're laser focused on solving the problem. It, even when you talk about looking at the future, the key thing is you're focused on the same problem, the early detection. Mm-hmm. You're just going to leverage whatever new technology comes out to enhance your ability mm-hmm. to detect things early. And I think that yeah. that laser focus is obviously giving you guys an advantage because you can just... Knuckle down and and do your thing, and not worry about creeping into this and creeping into that. As long as you stay laser focused on what you're doing, as I say, you can just leverage the new technology that comes out in order to do that. Um, and carby thanks so much for coming on. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing about what you're up to. I think the scale and the, well the impact that you're having, the scale that you're getting. And, you know, some of these organizations that are wanting to be involved with you, the likes likes of Johns Hopkins and and such like, it just shows that you're onto a real winner of of, of solving a problem and making impact. And it must be nice now waking up every morning knowing that you're doing that. You know, even as a kid, you know, you were talking about, wanting to give back and, sure. and, and all those things and, and yeah. obviously becoming the president of the club that changed your life is, exactly. uh, is is a nice thing to wake up to every morning. But but similarly, I think you're going to go on to make an incredible amount of impact with what you're doing with Rose Health and I wish you all the very best of luck. If people want to get in touch with you, Carvey, um, or the company indeed, what's the best way mm-hmm. for them to
1: reach you? Sure, they can reach me at Victor I at rosehealth.com. And obviously the website is rosehealth.com for more information. Carvey, thanks so much. James, it's a real pleasure. Thank you as well. I appreciate it. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.